This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Hey Thrivers, hope you're staying healthy and well. A lot of social media outlets and content creators have been showing off resources to the late COVID-19 pandemic. Here's my take on everything. Do the five. One, wash your hands. Two, cough into your elbow. Three, don't touch your face. Four, stay six feet away from others. Five, if you feel ill, stay home. Otherwise, I don't have any other clever resources for you. I won't pretend to have answers, nor will I sensationalize the situation as so many are doing. What I will do is take advantage of the opportunity to be my best self. I've been running a lot more. I've been eating better. A lot of tofu. I've been being nice to myself. Taking breaks when I need to. Taking naps. Playing video games. Working on side projects. Spending time with my girlfriend. I've minimized and maximized my social life at the same time. And yes, Zoom calls are not the same as being social, but nothing beats a virus like staying happy and safe at the same time. That's all I'm going to say. My challenge to you is this. Be optimistic. It is too easy, dare I say, a lazy mindset to look at the gloom and take it as 2020's defining feature. Don't do that. There's more. This is an opportunity not a meltdown. Treat yourselves well and stay thriving. Let's lower the curve in the stats and widen the curve on your smile. Let's spread positive health and growth to its full potential. Speaking of health and growth, we'd like to thank the Consciousness Network for sponsoring today's episode. The Consciousness Network has an outstanding record for improving the quality of life for thousands of people at a time with their mission. To spread awareness, compassion, service, community, well-being, and environmental sustainability. With the goal of creating healthier, more harmonious, and just communities, I've left events feeling more enlightened than ever before. One program I'm particularly excited for is with Dr. Michael Beckwith, speaking on what it takes to create an abundant and inspired life. Find out more on thecn.org. That is thecn.org. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Thrive Stars of Tomorrow, where together we will discover emerging artist, dancer and choreographer, Selena Lobato. Wow, Selena, I am so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. I am happy to be here. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Um, besides the fact that it's rainy, um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Times are times are weird right now, but like, it's interesting because I was, I was talking with my, with my girlfriend today about the fact that this whole entire quarantine is really a challenge about how you can turn anything and everything into an opportunity. Yes, you know? definitely. And, and I'm just, I'm just glad to have you on the show. I see, I see that as an opportunity. So welcome. Seriously. I feel like this is an opportunity for me. I feel like yeah. I, I mean, we know each other. We kind of grew up together. So that's that's right. We did. Like, uh, yeah. To see us in our, in our light. Yeah. Well, do you want to tell them how, how, how you know me and how we, I know you? Yes. So, Mr. Thrive here is was my dad's boss's son. 
Oh, it's still your. Well, I'm still, I'm yeah. still my dad's son. Still your dad's son, but <laughs> yeah, that's how we met. Is our parents work together? Um, they're fax te technicians and copiers and whatnot. And we met. We met at an outing, right? And we both had Shirley Temples, I think. That doesn't sound wrong. That doesn't sound wrong at all. No, I don't no. remember what it was. Maybe there no. was a Dodger game in there. I have no idea. Yeah, probably. Kind of grown up together. You, you were at my bar mitzvah. That and was I was really at your cool. bar. Yeah, I went to your bar mitzvah. That, yeah. that was so cool. There's video of you and me dancing, and you were in like Did a yellow dress. Send me a picture. I think you uh, sent me a picture. I have to ask my dad for the picture. But I have a, no, I have a picture. I just saw it. I was wearing a yellow dress. You kept thinking it's green. It was yellow. Definitely yellow. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you had an awesome bar mitzvah. It was Hollywood themed. Yes, or Hollywood or, and film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. Was yeah, really cool. stays pretty true to me. Uh, I remember We're though, both, your dad. Uh, in March, March oh, baby. What was that? Sorry. We're both March babies. We are both March babies. How was your birthday this year? Uh, it was good. This was before all the lockdown stuff, um, but I got to celebrate with like family. A lot oh, of eating, lucky you. A lot of eating and good drinks. And yeah. That was very great. I liked it. It was chill. That's great. Well, okay. So in, I, I say lucky as if I didn't get to experience that. I did get to enjoy dinner with my family, which was a really nice dinner. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Musso and Frank's? No. Where's that at? It's a steak restaurant in Hollywood. It's like over a hundred years old. It's Ooh. one of the oldest restaurants in LA. So you got one of those steaks. It was delicious. It was where? So it was uh, off of Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. Yeah. Just a block away from, uh, from Hollywood and Highland, around that area. You had a nice, yeah. Isn't that nice when you can just like chill with your parents, have like a good ass dinner? Oh yeah, it was great. We treated ourselves. And and then like the day after is when they said, okay, restaurants have to close and they can only do delivery. And we're like, oh, okay. You missed the cut, right at the yeah. cut. I also had planned this March to go to Lake Tahoe with a bunch of friends. We had rented a cabin and everything and I got refunded. Okay, good. Yeah, no, it just, it was such a bummer because like we were all so excited to go. I feel you. I was supposed to be in New Orleans this week. Oh no, for your birthday as well? Celebrating, it was me and two of my other best friend's birthdays. Gotcha. So was in February, one was in, mine was in March and another one was in April. We were going to all come together. Right, right. But, well, that's good. It's okay, and, and you're, safe, and, we're healthy. That's good. I'm so I'm really happy to hear that. Of course, I care much about much about your dad as well as your mom. Um, your dad and I have had some funny funny experiences My together. Dad is a a trip. <laughs> he is. For lack of a better to say it nicely. Yeah. What what is what's the most trippy thing about your dad? He has no filter. Right. Um, right. And I think he thinks he's still in like the 1970s, and he can just say whatever. So right. that's probably the most. He just says the craziest shit. He, he really does. Your dad was the one who pretty much gave me the street smarts 101 of Los Angeles. Yeah. He, Charlie went to go work with my dad uh, one time. I don't even know what Spanish slang he taught you, and I hope he didn't teach you too much. Oh, he, he taught me some words. I'm not going to say them. Yeah, don't say them. No. Let's not say them. No, I will not say them. But yeah, he taught me some things around the street for sure. <laughs> Yeah, he'll, he's an L.A. native. Right. The, my, my, one of my favorite experiences with your dad was there was this day where he was teaching me how to use a ratchet strap, which are like those straps you use in the trucks to like, like hold down cargo. Uh -huh. And what happened was 
he asked me, did you put down that copier right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I did it. Don't worry, it's fine, right? So I, I couldn't get it as much as I could, but of course I did it wrong. And so Larry knew that I had done it wrong. But instead of correcting me, he sits me in the car and we started driving. And he purposely went on a detour because he knew that this one particular road was extra windy. Yeah. So the next thing we knew, you could hear the copier in the background flopping left and right, falling, getting thrown against the wall. And you're just like sitting in the front seat. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm like sitting like, I'm sitting like this, like, like the the shoulders shrugged, like so stressed out. Like I just broke like hundreds of dollars worth of equipment and Larry pulled over and he says, so I did this on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Go back there and do it correctly. I'm like, yeah, okay, Larry, I'm sorry. (laughs) So. And you were like, I never want to be a fax technician ever. Yes, ever, <laughs> ever. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to produce podcasts. And that's how, that's how it started. Okay, I that's know. not how it started. You're, you're a dude of many talents. Thank you. I think you're a dude of many talents as well. Thank you. Let's talk I about try. it. I try. Yeah. Uh, I understand that you're currently working on a big project right now. Yes. Um, so, that project. I... So basically what I want to do in my dance career as of right now is I want to develop like narrative uh, dance uh, through choreography and uh, visual arts as well. Um, This project mainly was kind of growing up in California and seeing just, I mean, coming back to LA and also just being in NSF as well. So me and Charlie both went to San Francisco State. but the the homeless uh problem in california and just watching it grow and become like even more terrible is one of the ideas that i wanted to use so i wanted to talk about like issues on gentrification in california um homelessness how we criminalize poverty and homelessness is another one um i want to talk about ice and um borders and uh detaining children and people who are asylum seekers people who want to just have a better life so i want to do that through dance um so my project is called california's burning the title could change with projects you know things are always changing and adapting um i'm sure covid will make an appearance in there now now that we're all um but yeah it would consist of like probably about 20 dancers um i definitely want lighting people sound engineers um tech I don't know I want to get like creative I want to start using projectors too while while people dance um but yeah it's called California's Burning it'll be like six different dances I'm hoping to make it like an hour show of my work and then eventually or 45 minutes and then try to get other dance artists around LA to put in some of their maybe their company's work or but I want it to focus on like socio-political issues um, and specifically those that affect um, us in California. Definitely. Oh, yeah. So, so now you're producing, it. you're in the process of producing the show. I understand that you were, you had certain plans lined up pre-quarantine. Yes. Um, right. I had two dances that I just finished. One was a duet. The other was a larger number. It was eight dancers on the machine. Mm. Um, and this grinding. I don't know if anybody knows this. It's a very famous speech in Berkeley that happened in the 1960s. Um, uh, and it, this dude's name is Mario Savio, and he just 
rolls out with this passional, pa- passionate speech. And he's just like, there's a time when it comes when you just can't do it anymore and you keep grinding. And he's just basically saying like, we're cogs in a machine that's everlasting. And unless someone jumps out, unless someone like leaves the machine and chooses to say no, we'll always be parts in the machine running and running and running. Right. And I think that's so still relevant today. I think like everything that's going on, it's, it was the same stuff in the United States that was going on in the sixties. And it's kind of just crazy. It's like a mirror effect. So I think that's, it's even just as important now to talk about those things and we don't even have to do it. It's, we talk through, it's talking through movement, talking through art, like starting these dialogues in a more like, not so abrupt way. It's like, we always have a lot, we have a lot of clashing right now with like our dialogues and conversation. And I think it's just a way to introduce alternative stories. Not gonna lie, I was a little nervous today. Why? Never done a podcast. And I don't usually like, talking's just weird. I talk a lot, but I mean, I talk with my friends and like knowing that something's going to be recorded. I was like, Ugh. did you tell people before this, like, like about the podcast that you're doing it? I told a couple people. I didn't tell everybody. I, you know, you know how it is right now. Virtual communication. It's like whoever you talk to is yeah. kind of who knows the situation. Of your life. Right. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's totally, it's totally parched. But going back, going back to what you're saying about your show though, because you're talking about this what it sounds like is that you're creating a socio-political platform of awareness through mm-hmm. dance. And is that a unique thing to do or is that something that has been done before? That's definitely been done before. There's all types of dance. There's like people who do choreography for aesthetic reasons to make things look, you know, just beauty, like, I guess, beauty in dance. There's people who do narrative stuff. There's people who freaking climb buildings and dance on buildings. Like there's just so much type, there's so many types of dance. Mine kind of stemmed from going to San Francisco state and we have like a heavy social like justice type of aura to the school. Yeah. Our, our school is heavily influenced by politics and organizing and standing up for people like POC and Um, anybody facing any oppressive structures that our system puts on them so I just kind of I was a history major Um, I dabbled in some philosophy but that kind of steered me to which direction in dance I wanted to go I've been dancing since I was three and I didn't really have a a voice with that I kind of took other people's choreography so it wasn't until college that I decided to I found my voice and my my I guess opinion, and I wanted to convey that through dance. I think that's really, I think that's really smart. And I remember before this interview, you were kind of really talking about how, and and you've kind of alluded to it that talking for you while you have extroverted tendencies is difficult, but dancing is a lot easier to convey that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's more subtle. And then you, it, the best thing about it is that it doesn't always have to be what I intended it to be like if I put something if I put on a a dance and I had a certain choreography and the message was conveying something that meant a little more something personal to me that doesn't always have to be what somebody else sees somebody else can see a totally different meaning and it's almost really cool to like talk with your audience members or people that watch you and like well what did you feel from this 
or what could you, what did, what emotion did I bring to, to this, you know, this, oh, this meeting, this um, dance? Yeah. It's very, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because like, what it reminds me of is when Star Wars first came out and they showed it to American audiences, they did a survey that showed that American audiences saw themselves as the rebels, right? Mm-hmm. And the two, the two like analogies that Americans would go to is that is either Americans versus the British, or Americans versus the Nazis, right? Uh huh. But then they would show it to foreign, uh, foreign uh, analytics to, to to foreign to foreign viewers, and when they did the survey, they saw the stormtroopers as Americans. Isn't that funny how that uh, how that works? I could see that though. I yeah. could totally see that. Right. But no, that's awesome. Yeah, the structure. I love Star Wars. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the structures. The structures could mean totally. It's dependent on who you are and what your world is. But I like that. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And by the way, to speak on what you're talking about with the socio-political atmosphere of San Francisco State, yeah, it's such a it's a it's a very politically charged campus. Yeah, we have a. So I didn't know this for the longest time. Maybe you don't. Maybe you you probably do. But okay. we have labor archives. I did not know this. We do. We have like a extensive like archival section of the library that's just all dedicated to like um, labor strikes and all the workers who are fighting for our rights. Basically, how we have eight hour days or how we can wow. take breaks. You know, like we have like a strong um, history in the United States for um, labor workers and their strikes and organizing and whatnot. So that is all at San Francisco State. Um, How did you find out about that? I just, history, (laughs) being in the history department, they're like, just in case, like if you didn't know, like we do have like, you know, old documents like from the 1940s, whatever, 1920s, like that are like showing like, what is it like the boat, the shoremen in the Bay Area? I don't know if you've ever heard about it. it was a no, strike. never heard of this huge strike, and that's why they have, why they still kind of have a. Although unions are like diminishing, it's why they have the longshoremen uh, like in Long Beach and like in the Bay Area. It's why they still have rights, although those are diminishing too. But yeah, we have like all the history about it. Um, so SF State, yeah, was truly kind of very impactful on. Also making me feel like I could do something like I, that my voice mattered. And even if, and other people's mattered. And if I could be an ally and we could share these stories that, yeah, that, that, that's something and that's impactful and meaningful. So that's. San Francisco state definitely did a very good job at keeping people like kind of inspired by politics as opposed to disgusted by politics. Like it, it definitely, um, incited a lot of people to like to like start learning a lot more i, th- I gotta i gotta commend uh san francisco state uh for for what it did you know mm-hmm. definitely opened some open some eyes for me my fr- the first protests i ever partook in were with san francisco state uh i find one of the most <laughs> like literally no. like pulled like a a boss ass move and you yeah. like went to court which i think i commend you Thank i think you. that's so very brave and so hard to do and and kind of intimidating because it's not a world that we automatically know and i totally 100 percent commend you for like doing what you thought was needed to be done well thank you 
That means a lot. So what you're talking about, I've, I've brought it up in, in previous episodes of the podcast, and it's, it's kind of hard not to talk about the political climate of San Francisco State with involvement of me without bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I, I was like, should I bring it up? Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for commending yeah. me. That really means a lot. Uh, that was a crazy, that was a crazy lawsuit. Um, took, it was like a three-year process yeah. of providing as much evidence as possible, but basically, you know, while it does inspire students to get politically involved in a great way, that's a double-edged sword because yeah. it also, you know, I'm not going to lie that there are uh, extremists at San Francisco State. Yeah. And, and it did get out of hand uh, multiple times to the point where it became systemically anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say, by the way, that I think that, you know, the ethnic studies department should be you know, dismantled because of that. I think that there was a mistake made and it needed to be enforced. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that it needs to be shut down? No, I think it needs to be learned from and they can yeah. grow on it because ethnic studies is a very important. It's so important. It, it's a very important thing. And San Francisco State, as far as I know, is the first and only school with an ethnic studies department. Well, we were one of the first, but I don't think we are the oh, only we're not the only anymore? anymore? Not the only ones anymore. Okay. Um, but we're the, definitely the first school of, and I think that was the difference. It wasn't like we had a, we, we had a school specifically for ethnic studies. Right. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I think a lot of people like right away jump to is, well, you can't get a job with an ethnic studies major. And I'm like, well, yes, you can. You know, there are a lot of different places that can really benefit from. From people uh, knowing histories about other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, the ethnic studies movement is very important. But it needs to hold the responsibility of, you know, not inciting extremism. You know, how do you inspire students who are young and full of energy yep. to not get over that tipping point? And then also defining what that tipping point is. Yeah. And that was the major issue at San Francisco State was knowing where that, where that line was to be crossed. Yeah, dude, we had people go on hunger strikes at SF State. That's how, yeah. that's how... And there was like, that was multiple, there was another hunger strike. There was a recent hunger strike and there was a hunger strike back in like, or a big walkout in the 1960s. Well, the the hunger strike that happened when we were at school, do you remember who it was led by? I don't, it feels like 10 million years ago. (laughs) It was was led by Danny Glover because he was an alumni of San Francisco State. Yeah, he encouraged it, you know. He he definitely, and, and, and I, I think it's inspiring, but it's also like, I, I don't know what the limitations were or, or even if he agreed with the hunger aspect of it, yeah. but you know, the message and, and the, and the objective. Yeah. He definitely agreed with that. Our time at SF state, they were trying to get rid of a lot of, they're trying to get rid of like a lot of ethnic studies stuff. They were getting rid of uh, some of a lot of dance classes, especially like our African, like oh. we ended up not having African class, like, like Africana, African, West African type classes. Like we, our curriculum went so down um, really? and we got limited. They tried to take one of our studios and leave us with one studio. And it was like, dude, like you, we only have like two studios. It's not even a lot, but like for us to have like what 16 classes plus everybody has to rehearse for productions and whatnot. It was this whole thing. That's but an yeah. impossible task. Yeah. President Wong con- kind of got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Well, <laughs> during, during our time there, yeah. Well, I feel like me. if you're gonna be president or like any like head person at SF State, you better know your shit. Yeah. <laughs> you oh yeah, know, definitely. You and better know new- like 
because everybody's aware of their own like background. And if you say something that's like not okay, some person is going to call you out on it mm-hmm. because they know what's up. I think, you need, I think you need someone who studies ethnic studies yeah. to, to be the president of San Francisco State. Yeah. But yeah, President Les Wong, awful guy. So, awful, awful leadership. Well, had no backbone had at so all. So many bad things. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm just glad to say because of because of my case, he stepped down two years early. And I've never felt wanted to like feel good about that before, but I, I'm I'm willing to brag about that. That that feels Oh no, yeah, he was pretty he wasn't good for anyone. He was not good for us at state. Oh my god. No, there there were there were great memories at San Francisco State too. The, the protest that I was originally thinking of was like going to like my first like anti-Trump rally and then also like being there when gay marriage was legalized and like that was like such a cool experience like the yeah. whole thing yeah the whole city kind of has that vibe too it's very much yeah. like pro- progressive yeah like, not like you know I'm not gonna say it's perfect like there's a lot of like crap but what yeah. I think San Francisco strives to be is a lot better than <laughs> yeah other places <laughs> exactly no but um you mentioned that you've been you were dancing since you were three years old mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's crazy how that how'd that get to be were you always a dance like did you did you were you just good on your feet like what what brought you to do that so young my parents said I had too much energy <laughs> and they tried to they just had to put me in like they had to make me do something but yeah. I did I like to dance a lot so my mom put me in my first dance class and it was kind of like and it was just like instant love I feel very like lucky and fortunate that like the first thing I tried was just my thing was my passion and it was a part of me it's crazy to me still like I'm 25 now I've been dancing since I was three that's 22 years that I've been dancing and it's it's still crazy to me that like I've been doing this a majority of my life like dance is a part of a core part of like my identity um but yeah they said I had too much energy and I was bouncing off the walls so they had to put me <laughs> in dance classes right do you remember do you remember stepping into the studio for the first time I do um depends there was so I I first dance at a community center. Like I'm from South LA originally, um, uh, near kind of near Huntington park. If you know, if you, if you don't know, it's sure near South LA. Um, so my first dance class was at a community center in Huntington park, like off Florence. And I, my, my teacher was Miss Georgina and I loved her and she was very like soft-spoken and very nice. Um, so I remembered that and I did my first nutcracker when I was like four. Wow. Um, and then I ended up joining, uh, a studio in Downey. Um, and that's when I started doing like more tap and, but I remember my first recital, I was the only little girl who listened and went all the way to the end of the stage. So like, if you look at the video on, which is like an old VHS tape, you see like a clump of like seven girls to the left of, you know, stage, um, stage left. Yeah. And then there's me all the way spread out on stage right, like just doing my own thing and like it was hippie hippie shake. That was the sure. that was the song. So So right away yeah, you doing you're... my own thing and I wasn't I was just kind of like naturally natural performer, I guess. Mm-hmm. So for me it was the problem was like technique was the hard thing to get to, but my performance was always natural and I felt I always see. 
comfortable performing. Did you perform in any other ways beyond dancing ever? Um, I did act a little bit in high school. We had these like productions that we would put on, like the whole school would put on and participate in. Um, so I did a couple acting things my junior and senior year. And I've sort of tried to get it, not tried to get into acting. I've been asked certain things. Like I have a lot of, I have kind of have theater friends and that's like a default from like SF State theater and dance being together. Yep. So I've like, done a couple things a couple readings I was supposed to be in a short film but it kind of fell through um I don't really I can't really act well I mean I think I can act but I don't I can't memorize that well and so I think I get like camera shy even though I'm a natural performer like doing stuff on camera just like intimidates me um but yeah I don't know if I want to act I would love to try <laughs> but that creeps me out. It's totally out of my element. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's kind it, of, it's a very unnatural thing. It is. And it's, but it should be like, I'm really good at being me. Right. Like if you want a character who acts like me, there you go. Like I'm perfect. I can do it very naturally. But yeah, once you get in front of the camera, it's like all these people are watching me and what it was my like, line, line. Right. Line. Line. <laughs> line, somebody line. What's the line? <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if my acting career, but uh, performing wise, like dance is mainly kind of what I've stuck to. Although I love all arts, so right. Um, I um, is is there an art that you've never tried that I want to that you want to? Um, 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 I, what do I want to try? I want to try it all. I've dabbled a little bit in different things. Like I've done ceramic, like ceramics, pottery. I've done, I would love to do sculpting. I heard that's a bitch though. Yeah. Like that's really fucking hard. Um, I studied I in Florence. What happened? I imagine expensive too. Well, okay. So when I studied in Florence, we were with the art students. Um, and they, so there's a school called Academia. Academia, okay. um, and it's like a famous school in Florence, and they learn like oil techniques and like you know painting, and it's really focused on like art. Um, so there was one girl who was sculpting, and her like she had like like cuts, like she had bandages, because it's like you're, you're like picking a rock, like you're literally picking a rock, and so like of course you're gonna get like, but it it took her like months, months to just like sculpt like wow. one thing and it was about like this big like maybe a head and shoulders type situation but yeah it was intense I actually would love to try that mosaic stuff I'm getting a little more into film see I've dabbled in a, diff a bunch of different things but I'm not like fully mastered or like I think in my life though I do want to be mediocre at a lot of things <laughs> That's I, a great that goal. sounds weird but like I like the whole idea of most people hate like jack of all trades. I feel like that's great. It's great that you know a little bit of a little, a lot of everything. Yeah. And so I'm very, that's my Gemini. Like I want to do everything. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think that, I mean, and you, you kind of already have this going for you, but I think the, the, the big thing is like having that one thing that you're like so good at that everyone respects you for, but then also having a wide enough reach at, you know, to show that you're a multifaceted individual. Yeah. See, know? I like that. Multifaceted. Yeah. I, that's what I aspire to be multifaceted. 
Did you ever do the Washington DC trip? No, we went to Sacramento. You went to Sacramento. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I did the DC trip and I got to go to Thomas Jeff. I got to uh, Benjamin Franklin. It was a Thomas Jefferson. It was Thomas Jefferson's house. Okay. And besides the fact that that man was a sleazy individual who had like, who slept with multiple, he had a wife, but then he also slept with a bunch of his slaves. Um, First off, he had slaves. He had slaves, so that's yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of a Oh, by the way, but if you go into his house, like you see that he was a very inventive person. Mm-hmm. Like he invented his own design for like a rocking chair. And then like he also had like a certain system in his house for a clock. He had this amazing pulley system for wine uh, where it didn't matter where he was in the house, but he could pull on a rope and wine would be delivered in that section of the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of awesome though. He like, but he was a jack of all trades, and I always remembered like they always referred to him as a Renaissance man. Him and Benjamin Franklin were like the Renaissance men of their time. Mm-hmm. That always inspired me. I'm right there with you. You want to be a, a Renaissance man? I would like to try. I don't want to be like enlightenment. <laughs> I would like to think I'm enlightened, but I don't want to be like Benjamin Franklin, who had a journal that instead of like talking about things that were fun. He wrote how many steps it would take him to get from his front porch to his to his carrot garden. And like he would write down things like how many times he saw a particular bird in one spot. And it got just so it's like that's obnoxious to me. Like who cares? I'm sorry. That was his journal. He wasn't in touch with his feelings. Franklin, Benjamin Franklin was an arrogant bastard. Fun fact. Like then was not in touch with his feelings. He was not in touch with his feelings. He besides being a gluttonous human being like one thing is that he would always have people like pick him up on like a like a like one of those like a throne and like bring oh, where like a chair like an egyptian type like yeah 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 that was something that he would do is 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 friend franklin had record of people like bringing him in on a on a throne and and like imagine showing up to congress like that i mean how else are you gonna show that you're like <laughs> boss right i guess <laughs> You're like, look at me, I'm worldly. <laughs> it's only it's only a matter of months before. I can't imagine what was going on back then. Oh my god! Like all men, like I have no idea. Right. There's no balance, like. Right. Everyone has like some idea of what chivalry means, but no one can clearly define it. Like, well, chivalry is that thing where you throw your coat in a puddle. That <laughs> thing? Yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's only five hundred dollars. <laughs> what was five hundred dollars then? Five dollars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Five dollars. But, but you grow a garden the and then you start trading with your neighbors. Yeah. Toilet paper would be the most valuable currency. I think we gotta switch to bidets now. I think that's we're yeah. leaning towards that. Yeah. It's a little more eco-friendly. Have you I'm sure you've had your, your experience with bidets, yeah. In Europe, yes. Yeah. Um not I wasn't too fond of it. <laughs> it was really weird feeling. Yeah. Um because duh, used to toilet paper and dry cloth. Right. Dry, just a dry thing, not a wet thing. It just didn't feel right. Um, but you do, you have your own little, you have your own little towel you take with you, you bidet, and then you wipe after you've just took a, a shit. <laughs> when, you, when you take a poop. Um, I, I can't believe I'm about to tell you guys a story. I had a really funny experience traveling Europe and witnessing my first bidet. So uh, it was in Spain, actually. Oh, your bidet experience. Yeah. So it was in Spain. It wasn't in France. But 
we get to Spain. We they're get to everywhere. Europe. They're in Italy. They're there. It's a European thing. Yeah. So I, I thought it was only Japanese Italian. thing too. Or French. Japanese. I mean, the Japanese do it better. They have oscillators. Ooh. They have like different water pressures. Oh. Totally. Like uh, they're just on the next level. But continue. I know where I'm going. Want to hear your story? Yeah. Um, no, but like I did this really embarrassing thing. Where like so there was like in our apartment there was a, there was like a separate bowl for the bidet. It wasn't a part of the toilet. And I didn't realize you're supposed to wipe before using the bidet. And so I went right from the toilet without any cleaning process in the middle no! to the bidet. And I didn't look down after I got done. And so I finished up. I was like, that was a weird experience, as all bidets make you feel. You, you know, you did it partially wrong. So. And then, like, I, I like dried off and then I went back in the room and then the next person went in to go use the bathroom and they look in the toilet and they're like chat they're like they look at the bidet like Chaz you shat in the bidet I'm like what <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing like Chaz you're supposed to wipe and then use the bidet what's the point of the bidet <laughs> so confused it was very confusing they, yeah because they have two toilets <laughs> yeah I yeah. would not use a public bidet though no, they have public bidets. No, where were you at? That, that was in an apartment. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I thought you were like at a restaurant. I was oh, like, god. oh my god, that's a little, that's a little personal. No, 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 no. That was that was like the person I was traveling Europe with who said Go to ahead. me, "I'm glad." I mean, it'd be even worse if it was like a stranger. Yeah, who was like, like, "What the fuck?" I mean, I've seen some pretty crazy things. The stranger would say, "All you Americans are the same." <laughs> Disgusting. Shitty. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. It's not like there's instruction manuals with those. There is no instruction manual. Yeah, you, somebody has to tell you what to do. It's one of those things. Right, right. I'm I'm the reason why they have to put instructions on shampoo bottles. Let's get real. People like me. <laughs> two in one? Just kidding. <laughs> That's why they make two in one. Because <laughs> of you, Chaz. Because of you. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um... Going back to you, though, in your career, yeah. I know you started doing something recently that's really, really interesting, and that is you're throwing art parties. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> you Literally at home. Party. I'm not really. Um, yes. What, what is an art party? An art party is something I started with my best friend. So one of my resolutions of 2019 was I was like, I just want to throw like an art party. And I was talking to my best friend about it, and she was like, well, let's do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I didn't, I don't know what we're, I don't know. I had never even, I had never even actually gone to an art party. This was just something that I had seen other people kind of do, but not really. Um, so we had like a month to plan. It was on, we decided to do a 420 art party. Um, so my parents were moving, were moving out of South LA um, around April. So the back neighbors had just moved out and cleared the space. It was like super clean. There was so much, there was a lot of space like for vendors to put their tables up. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, let's do it here. Um, and so we had like a month to get it all like together, but we had, it's basically our art party is called Friends of Friends. It's, you know, my friends tell your friends, your friends tell their friends type like, all right, come to party. Um, but yeah, we were celebrating 420. So it was 
420 friendly. Um, we had a little bit of alcohol there. Uh, we set up lights, people put their tables up, we put decorations. Um, we made a couple like arts and crafts stuff that we just like hung from the, the trees. Um, we had dance performances, uh, open mic type situation. So uh, one of my friends did a spoken word. Um, but yeah, it was, it was such a supportive, safe space. And I had never really, not that I had never really like gone to something like that, but it was very intimate and very much like, it's just, it wasn't uncomfortable in any sort of way. Like, you know, when you go to like any type of certain networking events where you might not know everybody, it kind of, it's weird. This had a more homey backyard feel. And it was, I don't know, it was anything like, and more that I could have asked for. Like people sold their stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was like people doing oil, oil paintings or selling clothes or it's like all types of art, like whatever you, your passion is and what you want to sell ways to make extra buck. I have a friend who did a vegan, uh, vegan tacos, like street tacos. Oh my God. Out of this world. They taste yeah. like food truck tacos, but it's, um, jackfruit. But the way that she cooked them, it was like, oh my God, it was so good. I've okay. actually never experienced jackfruit beyond seeing those intimidating fruit at, at grocery stores. So I'm really impressed just off of that story. That's awesome. Well, they have a can too, but I don't, I think, yeah, yeah. How you have to like open them a certain way. Right. Like See, I didn't even know they were canned. Like they, they I just see. Trader Joe's has them canned. I just see this big spiky weapon. <laughs> you could like check at somebody. It's like a. Yeah. Imagine putting that on a catapult and just impaling someone. <sighs> what I would do. <laughs> like splat or it would just like bounce. <laughs> it might just bounce. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was. And I didn't know how I would feel after it. But yeah, after that night, I was like, felt so fulfilled that like so many of these like artists who may not have felt like their work was worthy enough to be put anywhere else were able to share all of, you know, their artwork and their passion and their love and invest that in a space and what that like creates and manifests. So from that, that was just, I thought it was going to be a one-time thing. We ended up, doing another one later like in August 2019 and it was more like a summer hangout um and I ended up bartending um we had more performers uh people there was one uh rapper murdered at her name's murdered at I'll just give her a, a mention a shout out she's actually really, really cool um and another uh another girl she played guitar she raps she sings um there's just multiple artists um I danced again I did like an improv thing um who else who else another spoken word um uh, but yeah it was really fun we had mostly the same people a couple new people and it was nice to like expand our circle um I would say very they're both very successful oh and we raised um so the second art party um we ended up asking for donations for uh, this organization called KIND. It's Kids in Need of Defense. So it was during all the border stuff about, um, it was when all this was going on and people were like, what the fuck is going on? And kind of like, how can we help? Like, I, I really can't, I'm not in a place to like donate tons of money. 
I can do what I can for this little party and get all these other artists, you know, going and then having people come and donate. That was like a way I felt that I could do it. We yeah. raised almost $200, um, which I thought was cool for like not knowing what to expect and not knowing if people would donate. Like that was really nice to be able to contribute in some sort of way. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was helping kids at the border have like lawyers and like legal protection and whatnot. Cause I mean, you saw they were putting kids up for trials who are like five years old. Right. Like don't know. So that was to um, give aid, give legal aid to, yeah. I think that's really sweet that you guys did that. I, th I, I love that you've incorporated your, you know, political beliefs into uh, this really great environment that still accomplishes what it needs to without taking away from it you know yeah it's kind of like a it was a blessing all of those things were very much a blessing to like come into my life and kind of like show me that like wow i really can organize a party yeah or I, I can do all these things that i have no idea no one told me you know how to do any of this and i figured it out in some sort of way and it worked out and it wasn't it wasn't too stressful at points but it was kind of everybody bring their own stuff, um, bring your work, prop up your table, and let's just have a good night. Yeah. And so, you know, I remember you telling me about this before you did it. Exactly. I was like, I don't know. I, guess. I was like, I guess. Well, we, well, since you and I, since you and I are friends that go back, we, we were catching up. We went on a hike. Mm -hmm. And on that hike, you told me about this idea. And I didn't expect this to happen, but next thing I knew, it planted the seed that would lead to the next step in my business with Mr. Thrive Media. And that's why I wanted to actually, it's part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on the podcast is because it's relevant to my mission. Um, Charlie, you know, tell us about your... Well, I, Selena, this is how you inspired me. Uh, if you go on my website at mrthrive.com, if you go to the mission statement, it says to create engaging media while connecting artists across the nation. And that second part, connecting artists across the nation, was inspired by you. And I, I was just like, I was so moved by it. I was like, wow, that's actually really cool. I want to bring artists together. I want them to like, to like me. And to like, I just, I love the idea of doing that, you know? And so I hope that, you know, when this quarantine is lifted, we can find a way to collaborate in some capacity. Because I Heck think... Yeah. It's going to be yeah. parties. Every, hopefully, slowly, in slow transition, there will be gatherings. But... Yeah. Yes. But I'm very happy that I could, honestly, that's very impactful for me that I could even say like something, you know, small after like, I don't know, we talked about a million things that day. So I could say something yeah. and that could be a, some affect somebody else and you'll affect somebody else. Yeah. And we'll just keep it, keep that chain going. Well, what you successfully did is you planted a seed for the future because that seed sat somewhere in the back of my brain and then I guess it just slowly got watered and watered and watered and it was actually going to blossom this month. It was. I feel you. I was supposed to have my art party. Yeah. We're have our art party on April 18th. We didn't have a set day, but we knew it was going to happen this month. April. We were, as soon as it hit April, basically we were going to start looking for a venue. Mm -hmm. But then like mid-March comes around and coronavirus is like, hey, got any room for one more? <laughs> That's the voice of the coronavirus. I've decided. That's, that's that's the designated voice you gave them. No, I feel you. It's but it's good. It's like now you have time to 
catch up on loose ends, things that you would never thought of. And like, how do we make it better? How do we take it to the next level? Right, right. And I am, I am learning those things as we speak. And, and I found that there's actually been a lot of really great opportunities that have sprouted because of the coronavirus. And I'm very lucky for that. Thank you for asking me to be on here. Oh, like that's one of the things that I was like, well, I'm not really doing, I'm trying to get choreography out, but I'm, I don't really have dancers to work with. And like, no, totally. No, it's, I don't it's, have a lot of space because my house isn't like a studio. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to renting out like studio space and like working with dancers. So it's a total like, yeah, total life shift. But yeah, I'm very happy and fortunate that like we can still do this like, virtually. <laughs> if someone listening right now, wanted to reach out to you and contact you, potentially even collaborate with you, what's the best way to reach out? Instagram. Um, my handle is at Selena, S-E-L-E-N-A, Lobato, L-O-B-A-T-T-O. So yeah, hit me up, DM me. Um, you can even look at some of, I have a Vimeo um, account listed in my bio and you can look at some of my other work. Um, but a lot of my Instagram is me improving for funsies. Yeah, I don't work always with experienced dancers. I like anybody who's just interested in moving or join an art party. If you're in any type of artist, you can always hit up. We have an Instagram page. We're called Friends of Friends Collective, but it's called Fofco Art is our handle. F-O-F-C-O-A-R-T. We're getting that up and running, hopefully by 420 because that was when our party would have been. But I want to get that done by 420. And yeah, follow us. And if you want to be a vendor um, or perform and or just chill and be a guest, be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And Selena, the question I ask everyone on my podcast, what will you be famous for? Ooh. For my choreography and that it moves people and it brings people together. Selena, thank you so much. You are awesome. Have a great rest of the day. You are awesome. Thank you. This was fun. If you've listened this far into the episode, it must mean you're a thriver. A great way to support my show is to follow my socials. You can follow my Instagram, at Mr. Thrive, like the Facebook page, Mr. Thrive Media, and be sure to check out my website at www.mrthrive.com to learn more about the Thriver experience. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.